Welcome to the Thomistic Institute podcast. Our mission is to promote the Catholic intellectual tradition in the university, the church, and the wider public square. The lectures on this podcast are organized by university students at Thomistic Institute chapters around the world. To learn more and to attend these events, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. I hope that this lecture, particularly given the topic, will raise more questions than it answers. So be prepared for that. And this is one of the great things, this is why I love philosophy. The reality is, the more you see, as Socrates so well saw, the more you see, the more you see how much you are not seeing. And this is far from an easy topic. Uh, my heart is very much in it, and I realize that some of the things I'm going to talk about here are you have immediate implications, thank you very much, for life, and I, I'm going to say some things that you might, you know, make you squirm a little bit, you might feel a little shocking, well, what, what's he mean by that? And I give you, I give you full freedom to uh, save your questions for the end, and, uh, and, and let's discuss. There's nothing I'd rather do with you. So let's jump in. A Thomistic approach to friendship between the sexes. The differences between a man and a woman are at the best so obstinate and exasperating that they practically cannot be got over unless there is an atmosphere of exaggerated tenderness and mutual interest. G.K. Chesterton. The differences between a man and a woman are at the best so obstinate and exasperating that they practically cannot be got over unless there's an atmosphere of exaggerated tenderness and mutual interest. What does it take for a man and a woman to be friends? This is the wonderfully thorny issue that we have before us. And as all the great issues of life, we're going to be well served to turn to the wise and seek from them principles. For right principles are always where we should begin. And the most basic right principles never change. Aristotle says the heart of friendship is to live together with another person. In some sense, to live one life. This can seem a contradiction in terms, this living together. How can my life, something that's so, in a very real sense, irreducibly mine, also be another's? This is a great mirandum, as we say in Latin, something at which to wonder and thus is worth philosophizing about, in fact, demands philosophizing about. We might even wonder whether friendship between man and woman can really be done. Unless, of course, you've seen it done. Then you know it can be done. Hilaire Belloc, in a great passage in The Path to Rome, tries to express the powerful experience of his first seeing the Alps. And he writes, to what emotion shall I compare this astonishment? So in first love, one finds that this can belong to me. Yes, perhaps, I say, perhaps this can belong to me but an awful lot will have to be done 
and be done well before you can ever speak of another person being mine. Happiness in its higher reaches, indeed any true human happiness, is never just a living. It's a living together. It's something done in friendship. This is why friendship is so central in Aristotle and St. Thomas Aquinas' worldview, and I hope in ours. The issue of friendship really is always at root an issue of what is required for two people really to live together. And this is a problem because it's notoriously difficult. And dare I say, as Aristotle made bold to say, rare for two human persons really to succeed in living together, having a true deep friendship. He was absolutely explicit. This rarely happens, though it's what you're made for. So here's, there, pardon me, here, there's the broad problem then of how will any two human persons ever live together? And then there's the more specific problem. What does it take for a man and a woman to live together. My purpose here is to shed some light on this oft-vexing question and also to offer some concrete direction and thus hope for navigating relationships of various kinds between men and women. Here's my plan. First, we'll note three key principles about friendship. Second, we'll look at men and women and the challenges, especially today, of their being friends. Third, I'll make some suggestions for sorting out, brief suggestions for sorting out living in intersex relationships with integrity. And in all this, I will take Aristotle and St. Thomas Aquinas as my guides. First of the three, the act, first of the three, a few principles about friendship. I'm gonna give you three quick principles. The first principle is that the act of friendship is living together. You have a handout there. If you don't have it, that's okay. I love just giving you something that you can put your hands on, put your eyes on, and look at a few quotations and see where I get some of the things that I'm doing. The first one right here, very simply. But people share themselves with one another, especially by living together. Hence, living together. It's like you, put, you need to put scare quotes around that. Living together seems to be most proper and pleasing to friendship. I teach an elective, I'm teaching it right now in, in friendship, where we just pretty much spend the whole course reading St. Thomas Aquinas' commentary on the two books in Nicomachean Ethics. Remember, of Aristotle's ethics, he spends more time in his ethics talking about the good life, talking about friendship than about anything else. In that course, I think the hardest point in teaching it is to get people to begin to be able to imagine, imagine and then conceptualize what Aristotle means when he says live together. And I just keep saying to my students again and again, there's living together and there's living together. And you have got to understand the difference. <laughs> and if you don't, there's not much I can do for you. So, so what is human living together or not? I say to you right now, one of the problems of our age 
is we've gotten used to very shallow things. Our sense of living together is very slim, thin. And that goes along with a very thin understanding of community, a thin understanding of friendship. What does it mean to live together? It's what he calls the act of friendship. This is what friends want to do. This is where a friendship is enacted. This is where friendship is in life. Indeed, there's no reason to be friends unless for the sake of sharing human life together. That's Aristotle. That's our first principle. Second principle, really to live together requires profound knowledge and love. Second quotation, it's natural that such friendships should be infrequent. I love one-liners like this from Aristotle, for such men that are capable of such friendships are rare, full stop, he goes on. Further, such friendships require time and familiarity. As the proverb says, men cannot know each other till they have eaten salt together. Some translations say eaten a peck of salt, a peck is two gallons. It's interesting. Proverbs often have a lot of wisdom. How long does it take if you do have a little salt each meal together? How long would it take to have eaten two gallons of salt together? Nor can they admit each other to friendship or be friends till each has been found lovable and been trusted by each other. Check out this practical wisdom from life experience. Those who quickly show the marks of friendship to each other wish to be friends, but are not friends unless they both are lovable and know the facts. For a wish for friendship may arise quickly. Friendship does not. So it takes a long time so I, I, I love to just again, ask hard questions and then just invite you to kind of let them sink in and then just keep thinking about them. What does it take, really, to get to know another human being? You could do a, run a quick drill with yourself. How many people really know you? It's a little bit of a scary question. What does it take to get to know another human being? When such knowledge, deep knowledge, is achieved, it's the epicenter of living together. When we start to think about what it really takes to know another human being, then we start to be able to enter a little bit more into this mirandum of what does it mean to really live together. For two people who really know one another, can then begin really to live together. And then this is where the love comes in. If I'm just intimately known by someone but not loved, I'll feel kind of exposed. I'll feel bare. I'll feel, feel vulnerable to have someone like really deeply know me but not be really loving me. But you put those two things together. And they naturally go together because, in fact, really, to know me, you would need to love me. For ubiamor ibioculus, where there's love, there's vision. No one will ever really know you unless that person really loves you. For that person will not really be able to see you as you are. 
But when and if it is achieved that you know and are known and you love and are loved, even as the pagan Aristotle can conceptualize and clearly has seen with his own eyes, then we can start to think a little more about what living together really is. And we can reflect, you know, wherever you go, you're never alone if you're really known and loved. Then you'll never be alone. But if you're not really known, then you are alone. And you're not really living together. Third principle. In view of the first two principles, the importance of equality or sameness. This is a little bit of a tricky one. In short, for Aristotle, friendship is rooted in equality. I'll say that in, it's rooted in equality, and it seeks equality. You have to understand this rightly. It would never seek that, by the way, by crushing natural differences. And this is, this is subtle, only be able to do it so much. Put otherwise, it's rooted in sameness, and it seeks sameness to the extent reasonable. This is going to be very important as you start to see for setting up the challenge, because we've got to understand the challenge of the relationship between men and women if we're ever going to be able to address it. So this third principle about friendship, it seeks equality, it seeks sameness. We can see this most clearly kind of from the positive side in the importance of sameness. Concord, which Aristotle calls one of the acts of friendship, concord literally means kind of joined in heart. Friends live in concord. In a great line of Aristotle that St. Thomas loves to quote in very important theological context, friends have the same likes and dislikes. Friends have the same likes and dislikes. I know this can seem to cut against the grain. It might make it feel a little bit uncomfortable. Can't we be different? Well, again, one has to take this in reasonably and try to understand it. First and most importantly, there has to be a sameness in the biggest things. This cuts against the grain today, but I'm just going to put it out there, and I'll just put it as a question. How can you really, really share one life with someone who doesn't share your deepest principles? What's life about? Someone doesn't think like and with you on that. How, can, how close can you be in really living life? And again, this is, this, is, this is not politically correct because it makes it, and, and it's certainly not being implied here, ladies and gentlemen, that you can't have any quality relationship at all with someone where there's great differences. You can. You certainly can have one of great respect in any case. But friendship is fundamentally about living together, and living together means something. And to really live together means you share principles together. So in the most important things, there must be those shared principles, those shared insights, those shared dreams, those shared loves. But you know, sameness in littler things is important too. I like to give this simple example, you know, if you don't mind, dear. Um, in marriage, the, the, which is and can be 
as we'll talk about in a moment, can be a good friendship. You, the, the more you share, the more you're able to live life together. So you share deeper principles, but little things make a difference too. I really like hiking. Right? My wife doesn't so much like hiking. Here's a beautiful thing about friendship, about love. When, in, in true friendship, you can, because the other person loves or appreciates something, you can love it by that very fact. And that's the way it's been in our relationship and it's going to be in most relationships where because I love and appreciate hunting, another example, just switched, uh, just switched over from liking to hunting, that my wife has no familiarity with whatsoever. She's able to, she's willing to say, well, in any case, I love it because you love it. That's an important sameness that has just come about there. And there's something very beautiful about that. But I just point out, if it does come to the point, let's switch back to the hiking because hunting would be a little sketchy. That if on the hiking, if though it comes to the point where one day she says, I don't just love it because you love it. I've actually come to enjoy it myself. Think how my experience would be, oh, joy. <laughs> now she, she, we really enjoy it and she'll be enjoying it too, not just because I'm enjoying it. Again, I say to you, Friendship is rooted in sameness. It seeks sameness in big and little things. To wrap up on the importance of equality or sameness in friendship, we need to make one more point. Where there is difference, in any case, difference that should remain, a structural difference. Obviously, that's going to be the case in men and women. I'm going to use an example here of parent and child. Where there's a difference that should remain, Friendship can become possible to the extent that that difference is to some extent, the difference is to some extent overcome by being understood and respected and as it were, even loved. My favorite example of this, and this is one of the most powerful things in, 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 in the teaching of this course, I absolutely love it, on the course on friendship. His understanding of the friendship between parent and child. You ready? In brief. You can have a genuine relationship with parent and child where there's nothing that answers to what he would call friendship. It's a relate, and, 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 and this stands to reason. Many people say, here's a parent on the child. But you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't say, we're friends. When might it be appropriate to use the word friend there? He said, precisely when it's come to the point where both are able to understand really the position of the other precisely as parents and child. Now, sometimes a parent isn't able to see that well. Normally, the bigger issue, of course, comes from the child side. And this gives the, this gives the amazing possibility of thinking in terms of, wow, imagine, what does it take for a child one day to turn towards a parent and say, now I begin to see what it is that you are my parent. Now I begin to see you for who you are in your relationship to me. Obviously, the most common way that would happen, perhaps, perhaps, is when a child becomes a parent and can turn and say, oh my goodness, 
now I begin to understand what it is to be you. Now, says Aristotle, there can begin to be a friendship in the proper sense because the difference is really comprehended and, as it were, entered into. All right, I go on. In some, where there is difference, especially difference that should and will remain, this difference is overcome precisely by mutual recognition, respect, and love of the natural plan for this difference. Second part, men and women and the unique challenges of their being friends. In view of the principles that we've just looked at, friendships between men and women are especially challenging. Indeed, at times, you probably stop and wonder, or frankly, I certainly hope you do, for if you do, it's a sign that you've begun to see, I think. Why is it so difficult for me to get along with the opposite sex? Right? This is, this is, this is a, a primordial and important experience. And so it makes us start to ask certain difficult questions. And I'll briefly advert to three reasons it is so challenging especially for us today. First reason, the natural difference of man and woman. Two, the demise of household, which is the natural context to discover and live the difference. And third, the problem of romance. Quickly, the first. Oh, oh now you're interested. Okay. Right. <laughs> you knew it was coming. All right. So, the natural difference between man and woman. May I be bold? I'm just sorry. I, I don't always ingratiate myself super well. I suggest at your age, you have scarcely begun to know the opposite sex. I seek not to offend at risk of being obtuse. I'm going to push you on this. And indeed, I'm even going to plead with you to remember two basic principles of the wise. First, that the first step towards wisdom is realizing how little we know. And second, that knowledge of human life comes through age and much experience. There's a reason, ladies and gentlemen, that there is practically no such thing as a solid marriage where there was not at some point a kind of crisis where one of the other of the spouses said, all joking aside, you've got to be kidding me for all this time you've been thinking what and this is this is a primordial moment in marriage where this where it, it just begins to dawn oh my goodness we really are that different here's a principle that can help render this intelligible like knows like. We cannot but project our own way of experiencing life onto others. We implicitly assume we can understand how others feel by how we feel. So when it comes to men and women, this is a challenge. Indeed, it's a big challenge. I say this not to discourage, no, please, but rather to encourage. Show me the man who really understands woman. They're out there. And I'll show you a man of humility virtue in wisdom that has come of much effort and practice, a man who can have genuine relationships with women, and if he gets married, live a marriage 
It's beyond what most people dream of. It happens. And of course, the same for a good woman on the other side. So in view of our principle from earlier about knowing and being known, this is very significant for friendship between man and woman. Dare I point to the stark example of a wife? I don't mean to sound negative, but this is that uncommon of a wife whose experience is, will he ever really know me? Second reason for the challenge in the wishes of men and women, the demise of household. The natural context to discover and live the difference. And the second challenge for understanding the other sex is our failure to understand the nature of the household. Consequently, our failure to understand the true complementarity of man and woman. This, of course, should be a whole lecture in itself. I'll try to focus. Complementarity, in a sense, this is kind of the epicenter. Complementarity means difference. Difference with a reason. The end or goal of the difference is the common good of a community. Therefore, we should never tire of reminding ourselves the difference between man and woman is for the sake of the good of a household. And more ultimately, for the sake of the good of the polis and of the church. Household, and more broadly, the polis and the church. This is why there's a difference between men and women. So th these latter two, polis and church, beyond household, they give the basis for seeing that not every man and woman need to get married. Masculinity and femininity, though first and most clearly conceptualized by their roles in the household, transcend the household and can be exercised on other and higher planes. That's really important. That's not going to be my focus here. It's fitting that we focus on the complementarity in the household because this is where nature teaches most clearly why there are men and women. I cannot emphasize this point enough. Today, we don't know what a house, household is. No wonder we have little notion of what it means to be a man and a woman. I'm not trying to be flippant, ladies and gentlemen, or say, you want to talk about gender confusion. If we don't have a very strong knowledge and experience of the richness of the kind of community that is I make bold to say, both with philosophers, pagan philosophers, and with Christians, the com we don't know the community that's the reason that God made there be a difference between man and woman, then we won't be able to discover why, why it makes sense, why this thing that often is so hard to reckon with. In brief, what's a household? It's a community, first of all, of intense daily life together. Two people, first of all, making a life together in a specific way. This was much clearer prior to the great revolution called the Industrial Revolution that thrust first men and then women from the home to make a career or profession remote from it. 
Wish we could talk more about that. We can't. This is a natural community. This most immediately ordered to, that's Thomistic speak, for, for the sake of the generation and the rearing of children. The rearing of children, argues St. Thomas, is so beautiful. It requires a stable and enduring community of a man and a woman. You just look at what human life is. You look at the children. And it is evident the nature of this community that is designed around giving them what they naturally need. The stable community, there in a St. Thomas's primary def, uh, argument, natural argument for the indissolubility of marriage. Because the children that come of this marriage demand that. This is the nature of the household. So the difference between man and woman lived rightly, serves to bring about precisely that community. It's an incomparable design. It must be rediscovered. It must be reclaimed. This is of civilizational import. Otherwise, among other things, men and women will never figure out who they are, I suggest. Note how the custom of our society militates against the truth of man and woman in so many ways. A couple just quickies. Regarding men, most of what garners accolades for men today is remote. Remote from, if not directly antithetical to their place or role in the household. Just think about that for a moment. Almost everything that men get accolades for is utterly remote from anything they do in their homes. Much the rhetoric and reality of the feminist movement has insisted that a woman see her very womanhood as a matter of how she seeks her own private goals. The most obvious implication of that is reject the intrinsic connection of womanhood and motherhood. Remember, we first rejected the intrinsic connection of manhood and fatherhood as well as manhood and being the paterfamilias, the head of a household. The effects of such customs are profound in undermining our ability rightly to imagine and conceptualize the true nature and role of masculine and femininity. And this directly undermines our ability to live together as men and women. In short, we've forgotten what a household is. We've forgotten that manhood is a call to fatherhood. Womanhood is a call to motherhood. Third problem, the problem of romance. <laughs> Need I bring that up in a college context here? A mere week after St. Valentine's Day, the, pro the problem of romance. Here's my assertion. Romantic attraction poses a serious challenge to the project of understanding and respecting and loving the opposite sex. I'm gonna say that again. I know that sounds half crazy and I'm gonna to try to defend it. Romantic attraction poses a serious challenge to the project of understanding and respecting and loving the opposite sex. This is not a puritanical assertion. Rather, I think it's empirically obvious I believe it's obvious in common experience that romantic attraction, especially in the context of fallen human nature, hinders good judgment. 
even when the romantic attraction does not become lustful or disordered, even when the romantic attraction is not lustful, it, it hinders judgment. Why? Romantic attraction has an urgency and a kind of self-orientation, even when not lustful, that can and often does override other considerations, thereby hindering us from seeing all that is there. Right? Consider the kind of obvious example of the proverbial young man or young woman who just can't be reasoned with. Right? It, they find it so difficult to see clearly right now. Then, if we add to romantic attraction its all-too-common bedfellow of lustful inclinations and even lustful habits, there's a further blinding power at work, according to the great Aristotelian and Augustinian and Thomistic principle, we see the world through our appetites. We need not linger on what a powerful threat this poses, especially today to our ability to see the other sex who they are. We can just pause and consider anew the sadness of the sensuous man who never even really sees what he thinks is the object of his attention. A woman, he does not understand how far he is from ever seeing a woman for who she is. This, especially among the young, is a real challenge, not unovercomable, but a real challenge, I suggest, in intersex relationships. So, some suggestions for sorting out and living relationships between men and women with integrity. Real quick, let's distinguish three kinds of possible friendships. I'm going to say a quick word about each, and then I'll be done. Three kinds. One, just friends. Two, romantic or dating. <laughs> I smile. It's a reason when we smile when we say that. <laughs> just friends, right? One. Two, romantic or dating. Three, married. All right. I mean, that basically, particularly from the viewpoint of the young, I think covers the, the, the ones that we can be thinking about here. In each of these, the principles we've considered will apply, though, in different ways. My mantra will be learn the difference between man and woman, respect the difference, live the difference. The main thing in each of these areas, ladies and gentlemen, I'm trying to be philosophical, I'm trying to take a Thomistic approach. I don't want to sound like, like I'm preaching. But the key will be chastity. Chastity is a virtue not only of refraining from sexual misconduct. It's that, but it's also a virtue of, as St. Thomas would say, putting the order of reason into our sexual desires. What an astoundingly beautiful reality. That will be the key. Aquinas, Aristotle, all the wise have always said, chastity is a key to seeing the world as it is, most especially to seeing other people as they are. If so, then especially between men and women. So let's look, at, look really quickly at each of these three. Just friends. 
All right. It, it, it's worth noting here really quickly this an, an example here that this not to be not, not to be cynical or jokey, but look, Jack and Susie, they they were just walking together outside, and and you know, and Jack comes in, and the guys say to him, "Hey, Jack, how's Susie?" And Jack says, "Whoa, guys, relax. We're just friends, right?" And then and then all the guys kind of look at one another and go, "Right." <laughs> Aristotle says, when something happens commonly, then that's something very important to look at. Then it means something of nature is at work here. So if it's, if it's common, that what, what, what is commonly happening? The way that a relationship between a man and a woman very easily transitions into being romantic, right? And, and how it can kind of... Um, very subtly transitioned. This, this is the stuff of great movies, the great stuff of great books, right? Sound of Music, right? Need I, need I, need I say more? Great, you know, great movie, right? The, 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 the way that it wouldn't have seemed so, but this, all of a sudden, this relationship between a man and a woman that wouldn't have seemed to have been something that would be a, a romantic context at all, all of a sudden becomes romantic. Why is that the case? Well, because by a beautiful design, this isn't something wrong. At any time, a relationship between a man and a woman can transition into being, quote, something more. What's the upshot of that? If we look at the gift that that is and all that's implied, what's the upshot? Friendships between unmarried men and women are always deeply intrinsically limited. They're limited by a modesty and a restraint that should characterize any relationship between a man and a woman who are not married. Why? There's no call or context for them to go into a deep life sharing. Here we can cast this in terms of respecting the difference. The only context really given the difference between man and woman to go deeply into the personal life of a member of the opposite sex is marriage. So it's something very important here that we, is a very practical aspect here to share deeper things, especially very personal things between a man and woman already is to begin to have a romantic, I'll even say nuptial aspect. I think this is obvious in experience. There's a reason that a man, not necessarily a bad man, a man that finds that a woman is starting to share, for instance, about the very challenging, deep problems she has at home. He immediately has this sense of, we're together now. When you share these deeper things, there's something between a man and a woman, it has intrinsically a pulling together. It, it pulls together anybody. But when you then pull together a man and a woman in that way, I note something further. Restraint then will always, always, it, so it, sounds, it sounds negative, but this is a classic instance where restraint is precisely what frees. To recognize the limit is to recognize the possibility. 
between a man and a woman who aren't married, when we recognize this aspect of the natural design between man and woman, we're able to, to enter into the relationship according to the limits that nature imposes upon us. We can return, we can return to that later. My, a, a quick example, this is why my advice, especially to young men in a college context, I've been around for a long time. How many times have I said to the young men, resist the urge to tell her right away of your affection for her? Your relationship can never be the same once you've been explicit. Once you then explicitly bring in the romantic element, then that has a way of simply taking over. That doesn't mean something's wrong. That's just simply the way things are. Profound point of moral philosophy here. One of the greatest fruits of discipline in general, and then of that amazing of the four cardinal virtues called temperance, and then his specific kind called chastity. One of the amazing fruits is a young person is capable in view of the great good of deeper relationships to say about so many things, I'm willing to wait. And I mean that in the broad sense. Because in relationships, especially between men and women, it's always about timing. It's always about respecting of limits. Are we willing to wait? Or to just say no? I suggest man especially has the obligation to see this and to enact it. I suggest something's gone very wrong when a culture puts the primary burden on a woman to say in these various ways, let's wait. I think that's primarily the burden of a man. Second, romantic or dating relationships. In short, their approximate preparation for marriage. So here, the whole beauty of what marriage is and marriage connections to household, it, this gives us the angle through which to think about the whole realm of dating. So what a fundamentally different way we approach dating when we see it as a discernment and a preparation for this sounding thing called marriage. I'm just gonna throw out you a couple, couple of quick things that I think that this means. For man, it means among other things, treat any woman I court or I date as one to whose good I might pledge myself as husband. Treat her as one who will be a mother, perhaps of my children, perhaps of other children, perhaps a mother in a mysterious way that will spring from a fruitful virginity. Think how different dating is in that kind of context. For a woman, it means, among other things, that treat a man in any courtship as one I must be able to trust always to look to my own good, to the good of children. One is a man to be a gentleman in the most important sense, one capable of being a husband to a wife and of a father to children. A couple quick words about marriage. Aristotle, I don't think would have said the words that St. Thomas says. I think St. Thomas has an insight. I skipped over several of the quotations. Quotation number seven on the handout. Between a husband and wife, there is the greatest friendship, says St. Thomas Aquinas. 
between husband and wife, there is the greatest friendship. Why? By a natural design that we now don't have time to go into any, any further. It's so beautifully connected with this astounding community called the household that is fruitful in so many ways. They have a project that is so rich, that is so full, that they must give themselves completely to one another and discern all the aspects of how they're going to build this thing together. No other relationship between a man and woman ever has a context where they share so much in common, that they have so much proximately to do together. So I circle back, ladies and gentlemen, to where I began. What does it mean to live together? There's different ways that human beings can live together. What an astounding and jaw-dropping way of living together to have the central project that you share in common be to form this astounding community that's the most basic community of human life where God will bless us with children at least in some sense of the term. And that will be what draws us together. That's what we're going to focus on together. St. Thomas wouldn't have me end without noting, and lo and behold, our fidelity to one another is a sign of God, of how God loves us. As gentlemen, I thank you for your attention. Shall I just open up the floor for, yeah. uh, and then? Uh, thank you for your talk. Um, You're very welcome. Great, super. If you have to leave, of course, we'll, we will understand. Don't hesitate to disagree or anything you want to bring up at all. Yes, sir. Yeah, you talked about the household being the, the best place to learn what it means to really be a man or a woman. Um, but the fullest ecclesia also having um, a role in teaching us that. What, what value could we place or see in homosocial events, so like women's events or men's events, uh, to teach us about what it means to be a man or a woman? And then if we are married, how should we value that in proportion to the obviously better teacher of, of the household, how should we approach that? Okay, so, so the question here then is, just to clarify, are you saying, practically speaking, what kind of, of, of events are, are going to be most suitable for us to engage in? Because, I mean, there's a richness where men, in order to discover their manhood, do need to be among men, right? And so certainly nothing that I say, what I want to say is taking anything away from that, right? And men, are, friendship with men, have a key role in helping you to be able to understand what it is to be a man. Certain things you'll only learn from other men that you can't learn in the context of a relationship with a, with a woman. So, so I, I'd say for sure you're going to have a, a necessity of both. Right? And so the, I mean, I'm choosing certain things to emphasize. I'm emphasizing household as a context that needs to be the central way that we say, hey, the difference is particularly ordered to that. That's why the more that we can see a healthy household, and look, many of us might not be from a, a healthy household. This is where, for instance, studying literature can be of great assistance. Or looking around in life to, to try to get images of what men and women flourishing together in a marriage that has also really become a friendship, which it does not always become, is, is, is key. So I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I, I'm answering what you want to ask me there. Are there essential aspects to 
And just to be clear, homosocial means single sex? Yes, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or can you learn all you need to from simply a household? Oh, I, I, no, I, I say you absolutely need to be in a situation where men would be alone with men. I mean, now, part of, I think, what they're going to be doing is reflecting upon what goes on in the household and what a household is, right? But, um, uh, yeah. I, I, I'm just going to say, for sure, same with women, too. I mean, this is something I think, another thing that our, our society, in a strange sort of way, we've kind of lost both. We tend to not have strong single-sex contexts where the, there's the kind of work. I mean, more traditionally, I make a big deal, you know, the, the Industrial Revolution removed so many natural contexts where men were able to spend good male time together. Sports can be great. In many ways, I think sports are a fill-in for richer, better, more natural contexts where men use their physical strength and prowess together and in their working together, we're able to relate to one another in certain ways in the absence of women, which is absolutely important for them to test their mettle against one another. So, I mean, there's a whole thing to do there. I think that's what, it, and. I have a feeling that's what you were thinking in your mind, maybe, when you said that, and I'm 100% with you. Thank you. What else? Yes, sir. Um, what advice would you give for deciding how far are our differences before it's like too much of a Great question. I'm going to go, first of all, to the, you know, the essential sameness. Uh, the, there needs to, you know, and first, first principles in life. I mean, that, that's where I, I, I think one of the great myths of our age is the romantic myth that love overcomes everything. It, it, it's, it's, it's a myth that has a kernel of truth in it. You can understand why people would subscribe to that. Were we talking about love in a richer sense, there might actually be more truth to it. But the way that it's used now as romance, it's normally referring to romance. Romance doesn't overcome anything. It's far from it. Right, because a, a marriage is much richer than to be the kind of thing that should be based on romance. Romance has its place in marriage. I, I'm, I'm going to challenge you here a little bit. We now take for granted in our society that the obvious way that you discern whom to marry is to whom do you have a romantic att attraction. I think this is a very complicated thing. I'm all for romantic attraction. I think it's a great thing. But, and I think it should be there in marriage. But experience shows it's so obviously not the primary point of discernment. Quick, quick, quick story. Young lady was getting married in a parish near where I am a couple of years ago, and the priest told me that. She, she, it, she, it was an arranged marriage, and Father Priest, I knew, was, was doing the marriage. And, and, and he said, really, this is arranged marriage. I mean, you're really you're fine with this. She said, well, uh, absolutely. And, and Father said, you don't, you don't find this strange? She looked the priest in the eyes and she said, Father, let, let, let's get something straight. Where I come from, my country, all the marriages are arranged, and we have functionally no divorce. How are things working out for you here? <laughs> I'm not recommending arranged marriages. 
but it should give pause for what do we think are the are our criteria for making the judgment. So so I'm you know that's where I think the main criteria are that I just said so quickly and in passing the the kind of person that has the principles the intellectual wherewithal and the moral wherewithal to enter into this project successfully. This astoundingly beautiful project, you have every reason to be extremely picky because of the nobility of what you're setting forth on. Why would you not be? Again, obviously everything in reason, you can go too far with that. The smaller things really don't matter. I mean, you know, we have the first, we have the fundamental things in place. I still philosophically, I think it's very important and interesting to note how you will seek sameness even in the smaller things. It's not as though you need to have sameness in the smaller things. There's a certain beauty to, I know it sounds like I'm contradicting myself, there's a certain beauty in the diversity. And that, and Aristotle notes that too, even though I was saying you like sameness, there's part of the thing that you like also about the difference is how you are exposed to things that you wouldn't have experienced otherwise. But then you move through that to now being in it with them. You don't want to leave it as a, as a difference. You want to go into it as a sameness. See what I'm saying? Then what else do we have? Thank you for that good question. Yes, sir. Uh, You're welcome. That's a great, it's one of my favorite, it's one of my favorite questions in Aristotle. It, it, can you be friends at a distance? I love discussing, now does technology change that question? What does distance mean anymore in an age, in, in an age of technology that supposedly overcomes distance? And the whole point is that's where he makes the point that the act of friendship is the act of living together. What is real human living together? So I put this, to put, put it to you this way, sir. The notion of living together in its richness is the, is the way to just keep working this issue. And it's going to be human living together. So there's key bodily aspects of that. This is why, quote, at a di friendship, dating at a distance, friendship at a distance is extremely difficult. It, 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 we all know. What, what, what is it? I, 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 I have seen a four-year-old look at his father on a Zoom screen and say, hold me, daddy. But human life is done in the body. And there's, there's something irreducible there. And so, you know, what does, how, how is that going to be enacted? But at the same time, human living together is profoundly personal, profoundly rational. And so you have the absurd situation now, the commonality of a young man and young woman, you know, fall, quote, fall in love. So let's move in together. Now we're living together. What exactly do you think living together means? You want to ask these people. What are the actions that constitute our living together? 
mean, he, em, empirically, it's so, it's so positive. It's, it, it, it shows so much. I, I, what works, as it were, to make a man and a woman experience that they are sharing one life versus what absolutely does not work to make a man and a woman experience themselves as living one life. But um, I, 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 I might have diverged a bit. Tell me, be honest, so answer your question or follow up right now and make so me specify. I, I guess, um, yeah, I, I, it seemed to me that you made it a norm that you can have deep friendships um, <clears throat> spread out across thousands of miles because of the way of technology and my eyes were not really true at all. And based on what you're saying, I would agree. I, I, I would agree with that and I'd just say this. The art of living in many ways is the art of discerning how the hierarchy and the kinds of friendships in your life. And to recognize there's a place for the ones that are kind of somewhat, they, I could have gone deeper with them, but I'm not able to go deeper with them. This is, this is where life teaches you your limits. Aristotle is insistent upon this. You cannot have rich, deep friendship with a large number of people. It's not life on a human scale. And, and to technology, as in so many other ways, it tempts you to go beyond life on a human scale. It tempts you to try to have too many friendships. And so you lose the, the ones, those very few, you know, go deeper in that are the ones that really where you're most alive. That, that's not to say a disservice to the other people that you have real relationships with, but I'm most alive here. And I end by saying to you, I'm utterly convinced the more that you actually are true to those very few and live them well, it actually empowers you to do all your other friendships all the better too, to remember the hierarchy. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, what would you say in regards to pornography, the differences between its effects um, in male-to-male -male or same-sex friendships and opposite-sex friendships? Like how, how are the effects different and like how can you counter that? This is a great question, and I just want to note, note I, I have been involved with a group that's called Courage. I don't know if you're familiar with Courage. It is, it's a ministry to those with SSA, same-sex attraction. And, and you didn't bring that up, but I'm bringing it up because it's, I, I have lectured on friendship in, 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 in that context, and it's, and it's fascinating to talk about the particular challenge of trying to have same-sex friendships, which are so important for all of us, which I haven't emphasized here because it wasn't the topic, um, it, 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 where, where for them you have something of an aspect of the romantic getting in the way of same-sex friendship. And so it, 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 that, that's a different kind of thing, which I just want to take the opportunity to note that, that needs to be addressed. The, um, I, I like your asking, if I heard your question right, how does pornography affect a, like a man-to-man -man friendship? Yeah, the differences was man-to-man. -man right, well, I, I mean, I, 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 a lot might be said. I'm gonna try a couple things. For, unchastity is always blinding. It blinds us to our own masculinity. It blinds us to who and what a woman is. And so it does, undermine a man's ability to have manly friendships because manly friendships require a true, authentic understanding of masculinity. 
his own masculinity is being undermined because part of being masculine, especially, is to be restrained. Almost all manifestations of true masculinity call for restraint. I give you just the two most obvious, that we too in our, there's always a kernel of truth. What do we particularly associate with masculinity? The relationship with a woman or Mr. Soldier Man. Real masculinity in battle is profoundly restrained. Real masculinity in relationship with a woman before marriage, in marriage, is profoundly restrained. Pornography is the utter extreme opposite of restraint. So that's where I just, there's my quick reflection on, on if, if I don't have courage, strength, sense of my own masculinity, I'm really gonna be weak at, at interacting with other men as a man how am I doing? Am I, am I, am I thinking with you know, what you were asking? What else? Other thoughts? Yes, sir. Um, why does your husband say that if you're going to be sober? And then power and so, two, two simple reasons, and they're both in that quotation. One, I love your question, is I want to come hug you. <laughs> because it takes so much character, and so much character is rare. I mean, what does it take to really know another human being? What does it take to really love? I mean, it's a very simple things. This is why philosophy just it always takes you back to the most basic stuff. What does it take to really love a human, another human being well? A lot of character. A lot of character, which in Aristotle's terms means virtue. It takes a lot of virtue. And, and, and I, I, I was just talking to my wife about this up on, on the way up in the car. Just, Aristotle's so amazing in this way of... He has such a crystal clear insight into what human nature demands of us, what if we're ever going to feel fulfilled as human beings we would need to become, even though he looks around and he sees it. So it's so seldom done, but it never made him flinch in his confidence that that's the only flourishing of human life is when you become virtuous. So true friendship, so in, a, in a sense, remember this one. What's living together? You have to know what living is. The only real human life is virtue. There's there's living and there's living. Oscar Oscar Wilde put it like this. Most people just exist. Very few live. All right, well, let's let's just kind of put that in Aristotelian terms, what he means by exist is living without virtue. So if, you, if we don't know how to live, it's so simple, but this is it. This is right there. If you don't know how to live, you'll never be able to live together. Just think about that. It's so, it's so rich. If we can't live, I can't do it with someone else. If I can't do it, then I can't do it with someone else. But that's all the friendship is. And it takes so long to get to know people. It's so frustrating that we live in a society where everything is so mobile, everything's so changing. 
and 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 and, and at this point in, in, in your short lives, you you haven't so you, you've seen this maybe a little bit, but as you go on and you get to be forty and fifty and you've very and you've had so few such small amount of stable time where you were able to get to know certain people really well. It's no wonder this becomes so hard for people to really have eaten two pecks of salt together. Thank you for that question. Anything else? Yes, ma'am. If I hear you, 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 you rightly, I, I, I would say yes, but, but, but in a qualified way. In, have I seen with my own eyes that in dating relationships, particularly when he had gotten going and had a certain route, that then it's actually a way that kind of tests it and grows it a little bit by being in the distance? Maybe that's something that, that speaks to what you're saying there. I, I mean, at the same time, I, I'm going to find myself wanting to say, but look, you got to really get to know one another. And human life is human life, and human life is in the flesh, and you got to be together. So I hope that one would have been in the context, I have nothing against meeting people by, you know, on, on, online. But then, of course, right, then in the flesh, follow up. What, what's on your mind? Well, it's just like in the context of like, is it essentially necessary for like the growth of a relationship to be in that context of living together? And like, in like... I, okay, all right, yeah. How about, how about just say this? To a reasonable extent, it is. But that doesn't mean that there can't also be an at a distance aspect to it. I, I think, and again, in, in, in these matters, there's always a place for a prudential, you know, <clears throat> making something of a distinction there. But I, I, I just, part of it is, I, I, I want to be trying to be using principles to help set people up for success. It's so hard, especially today, to get to know people. I, I don't say this to be dramatic, but how often do you have a situation where people get married and they've known each other a while? And then maybe even a few years in, there's this sense of, oh my goodness, but who are you? And, 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 and so don't be afraid, <laughs> trust in the Lord, but, 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 but we, we, gotta, we gotta really dig in and be very serious about that discerning. And, and, and that takes a certain proximity. Yes, please. So in this quote, it's between husband and wife, there's the greatest friendship. So does that greatest kind of come from these, or the fact of the mission that they're sharing together? So the household, possibly the creation of life. So off that point, in creating a great friendship, what is those things that you're creating and sharing that can make it be a great friendship? Or is it essential that you have to be creating and sharing something to have a great friendship? If I hear your question, do you all hear in the back? It's kind of what, 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 I mean, it's hard for me to bullet point, but I'm going to say, um, this is what I heard, Emily, and correct me if I miss something. That do, you, do you have to be sharing something specific to have a great friendship? And in the case of marriage, is, you're, kind of you're saying, are you saying that it is specifically the, the household raising children? Right. Human life, yes. And I'm going to say, put it this way. Human life is always itself a great project. Virtuous friendship is a sharing of the broader project of life. Concretely, that has to take specific forms. You can only be friends with people if you're living together in some context where you share some type of work together. There are natural contexts that lend themselves 
to your growing in friendship. And what I've suggested here today is that for a man and a woman, and this is, makes, it, makes it hard for us, but we have to face the truth and think, what does that mean for where we are? The, the only real context for a man and a woman to, to form the deepest kind of friendship is in forming this astounding rich thing called family and household. And, and to think that man and woman can go deep Apart from that, no one's really challenged me on that, and, and, and I'm surprised, by the way, that someone just hasn't raised a hand and just said, so let me just get this straight. Are you just trying to say to me that if I'm a college student and I'm not dating someone, then I can't have a deep friendship with a member of the opposite sex? I mean, doesn't anyone want to say that to me right now? And may I, with your permission, just say... I am saying that you can only go so deep and, and ask yourself, how deep can I go? And then recognize the limit, observe the limit, and be set free by that limit. And, and, and so, yes, but how, how, can you still share deep things like studying together? Yes. Do I want you to have friendships between sexes where you're sharing deep things that you're studying? and pursuing virtue together, yes, but always bearing in mind, it's not, it's not living in fear, it's living in restraint, and recognizing the gift of the limit of our difference. And in modesty, I, I recognize this friendship can flourish in its limited way, but then, but then this other kind of thing altogether of a man and woman who are, who are preparing for marriage, there's no project like the project of household. And that's the theme of that part of the, where we just need to think more about that. But so many things are working against us. I'm not against careers and professions, but ladies and gentlemen, I'm just tossing out. If we're constantly being pushed by our culture to just, you know, in, in this, I'm just going to say it. I think this particularly threatens women. Where that, that, a kind of obsession of, well, I have to be me and do my profession first. Different people have different callings. I'm not going to make a blanket statement, but I think that it, it, particularly a woman's going to have to be careful to see that that doesn't move her to miss the deeper context that might have been so full and fulfilling of life that had a focus in the household. I, I, yes, sir. Follow. Yeah, thanks very much for your talk. You're welcome. Um, just a follow-up question on that. Uh, it seems to be, if I'm understanding you correctly, you're proposing that uh, because emotional and intellectual and psychological intimacy between men and women tends to rouse romance. Uh, thanks for saying it well. Yeah. That a romantic relationship uh, that is aimed at discerning uh, whether or not to marry is the appropriate context for that. And my question and response, that sounds sense to me, my question and response is, then why should not friendships between unmarried men and women um, become uh, potential seedbeds for a romantic attraction that would be rooted not simply in uh, physical appearance, in mystery of the pheromones, and mystery of the unknown other, but rather a romantic out of an intimate friendship between unmarried men and women, 
like it might even be something that would be more to be desired than a romantic affection arising out of this uh, situation of estrangement and Brilliantly important question, which which uh, which adds something that I had not brought out, for which I thank you. And 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 I simply I affirm it by saying I think it does fit with what I'm saying. By and, and again, maybe it's the challenge of trying to have done a little bit too much of when I because we could have just focused on you know all right, so what can men and women try to do in a non-romantic kind of friendship. What does that limit look like? How does that unfold itself? And especially, as one way it's often put, looking outward and upwards together rather than looking at one another. This is something that men and women can do together, although, as you noted well at the beginning, and as I've asserted, even looking outward and upwards together does, and the, 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 the image on this is actually very helpful, it tends to lead them to go, <laughs> right. and, 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 and that's fine Th that would be a good context for that to happen that's why an intellectual community can be a very appropriate one for cultivating especially if they are just use my mantra modest restrained relationships that respect the uh, avoiding the emotional intimacy then, then I say yes those are the kinds of friendships that I apps that, that I would encourage based upon these principles, and that would be a fertile seedbed from which good romantic ones could arise. But I just I would take that as dovetailing very nicely with my assertion of for that to work the way we want it to, it's going to take having thought explicitly along these lines of remembering I, uh, restraint, restraint. Restraint. We are in an age that is that has cast aside all restraints, and 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 we just throw ourselves together with no respect for the difference, and 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 then and therein then the romantic just kinds of explodes slash it's just become normal that well we can just be buddy 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 and not have that sense of no we have to be restrained so that that that's my concern. Do, do you? My sense is you and I are together on that. Quick follow up. Sure. In the college population, a bunch of unmarried people. As long as they acknowledge that any male female intimate friendship has the capacity to lead to a romantic relationship, they shouldn't fool each other like, oh, we're just friends, we're on the same side. No, if you start intimately sharing your hearts with one another, you're going to start feeling like you're more of a friend. Right. As long as that's acknowledged, I, I don't understand why, uh, why they have to. Could, uh, well, uh, just finish I it. Why they have to attempt to forestall emotional intimacy for the sake of what? Like for the sake of an illusory romantic attraction that actually they're not suited for? But, but like, if people are actually able to enter into an emotional intimacy that hasn't begun with a strong sexual arousal, they're able to do that. That would seem to argue in favor of them being a really good match. 
Okay. I, 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 That's certainly a major concern of mine. And this is where I go back to when I made that point in the lecture. I said Aristotle says if something happens commonly, this is something we particularly want to attend to. And I think particularly in a society, and I very much appreciate the question, and it's working through the details of, of the approach here. I, I, I think because there are such bad customs here, there are not restraints in general that are put upon male and female relationships. Part of the thing here I think that, that my concern that I need to kind of out with here is, is I, I think it is not healthy for men and women to be in, in a completely unsupervised, com, un, un, you know, I'm not gonna use the word chaperone, that, that just seems to be a bad, you know, a bad term, but I mean, one, one that has no exterior ex restraints being placed at all. It just puts far too much of a burden on 18 and a 19 and a 20 year old to be thrown into just you know starts to share okay my friends whether same sex or other sex we're just sharing all these deep things you're putting yourself in a situation where the emotional is going to be tending to be aroused kind of very quickly in a context where you don't have any experience help or direction in how to sort that out and i just think it's 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 explosive in a way that is going to be non-productive, and I think experience shows that. So, so it, that is the bit. My wife is sitting over there giving me the, the look that she thinks she has something that's going to, going to, which means she does. <laughs> please just say you have something on this point. Yeah, say I, I, I think that it's a matter of degree and prudence. That it's not that one should be um, should resist emotional intimacy when it begins to present itself. It's just that one being aware that this happens. The question is, is now an appropriate time for this relationship, which is a friend relationship looking out, turn inward? And sometimes that inward gaze actually truncates the possibility of the true encounter of friendship. Because the romantic I-thou attraction, it has a different end. And so it could be that in a friend relationship, to turn too quickly toward one another would be to actually ruin the fruitful gift that comes from a friend relationship of two people looking out. And so, and that's a matter of intense prudence and judgment, which sometimes takes either the help or aid of someone wiser than you, or the benefit of age on your own part. So I think it's just a question of when you enter into a male-female friendship, to be aware that the dynamic of entering deeper into something outside of you naturally turns you toward one another. Once that happens, it has a different kind of energy. And, and the question is, is now the right time for that? And the relationship may be benefited and more fruitful if more time is spent looking out before the choice to look in. So it's just an awareness that prevents like it from that. being a dynamic that takes over the relationship, but rather that you enter into intentionally and say, and now I will let the gaze turn toward one another. Which again, how it goes down to the It sounds like is what you were concerned yeah, about. I, I, I yeah, so it sounds like you're, you're voicing three concerns. One is that you want people to put up or shut up. Like if they're entering into emotional intimacy and it's this kind of ill dating relationship where they're pretending not to be romantic and they actually are, that's out. The other is that, uh, that a precipitous, uh, unconsidered emotional intimacy between a man and a woman might lead to sexual activity. That seems to be what you're saying, right? Just to say right out, you know, the explosive consequence. 
um, ma'am, is the uh, is that too hasty a turn toward uh, into emotional intimacy might actually create this kind of um, the way you, I like the way you said this kind of truncated periods of friendship or not having uh, where yeah you're sitting on a park bench or or on a couch somewhere sharing your deepest secrets all the time when you've only known each other for five days or for or a month or something you've, you've had less of an opportunity to experience and observe what one another contributes to a wider experience mm -hmm. of the world. Oh, that, that, that's clear. And, and if, if I may just jump in and just wrap it up real fast by saying I, I I'm really going to second that point of I think. It, it just, it truncates it that you can't have it in a sense both ways, except with one woman, speaking of the man's side. In, in other words, what, what, once, you, once you start to cross over, so the romantic, romantic by its nature is exclusive and can, on, can only be with one. And, and, and so it's a very limited kind of relationship that a man and a woman can have without it crossing over to the romantic. And that's, that's why I say restraint, 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 so that you can have friendships between men and women. We, we need to be restrained in a way we never have to be restrained in the same-sex friendship. Men don't have to be concerned about, although they are alert to it, don't share about your problems at home with anybody, except where there's a certain kind of growing intimacy. But you don't have to worry about it in the same sex of well, like, it, it, am I crossing a line here? Whereas it, it, it does it, it it switches it because now we can't have the once you turn towards one another, there's never the innocent looking out again either. There's so much more here. In your in your great questions, push it. So we're, I mean, we're going to have to. I mean, well, there's some more questions. I'll just keep going. See, that's the thing. So people should be free to go. What, what, what should I do right now, Colton? Should I take, I mean, I'm happy okay. to take Colton. Or do you want to turn people loose and just have those that want to stay, stay? Okay, so uh, we'll, we'll leave some time for um, a little bit more. Uh, so we just want you to stick around. Um, but, you know, for those who want to take off here, you're more than free to. Um, I uh, would like to thank Dr. Kudak for giving this talk. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this lecture on the Thomistic Institute podcast. The generosity of people like you makes this podcast possible. If you enjoy these talks, please consider showing your support at www.thomisticinstitute.org slash donate. Your donation of even a dollar helps us reach more college students and many others with the powerful truths of the faith, and it ensures that we can keep publishing top-notch lectures on this podcast. Thanks a lot.